So I've seen some really lazy, shitty burlesque, and I've seen a lot of incredible stripping. And I've also seen performers who work in both and people who like do burlesque on the weekends, but work at the club during the week or whatever and do the same act or similar kinds of acts. So I don't think I don't think it's as much of a binary. I saw the most like creative artistic stripping that I think I've ever seen in my life um, at a strip club called Mary's. There isn't even a DJ. There's just a jukebox next to the stage, which is like three feet by three feet. It's so cool. But first, a word from our sponsors. Are you ready for the Unleashed Tour, where shamelessness, sexiness, and laughter collide in a hilarious orgy of fun, discovery, and sex edutainment? Embark on a captivating nationwide journey with the Shameless Sex Podcast and an electrifying ensemble of sex educators and sex-positive entertainers as they bring you an unforgettably titillating live experience. Be a part of mesmerizing, entertaining, boundary-pushing acts, Shameless Sex Style. Ever heard of the Slurpee Stick Shift? Want to learn how to bury your face in her? How about some dirty talk improv or brat taming 101? Hmm. Get ready for nonstop laughter as our charismatic hosts and entertainers weave humor into the fabric of this liberating celebration of sexual diversity and freedom. Engage in interactive segments, Q&A sessions, and a chance to connect with like-minded individuals in an inclusive and empowering environment. Listen up, Portland, Chicago, Seattle, we're coming to you. For more information and to get your tickets right now, go to shamelesssex.com and be part of a night that will be fun, educational, sexy, hilarious, and shamelessly unforgettable. Seats are filling up fast, so don't miss out on the most unforgettable show of the year. Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Shout out to the strippers, tippers, and topless hamburger flippers. This is Billy Presida, and you are listening to the Man Whore Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, or uh, good evening if you're nasty. Welcome to my weekly series of sex-positive conversations. I got a jam-packed one for you this week. First, we're going to be hearing from Dr. Ina Park. She's back on the pod to update you about something in the medical news that may concern you and your sexual health. After that, I've got a full conversation with burlesque dancer and newly published author, Fancy Feast. Her book, Naked, is out now, available wherever you purchase your books. All that and more for you in just a few bits. But first, show dates, people, show dates. The Naked Comedy Show, it's coming up. Yes, as featured in the New York Times, Time Out New York, New York Channel One, and the illustrious Bushwick Daily. The Naked Comedy Show is back at Hacienda. October 20th, we got 8 p.m., 10 p.m. shows. There is a link at the top of the show notes, commonly referred to as the schnotes. BYOB, clothing optional, hope to see you there. I've also got a couple spots coming up at the Grizzly Pair down on McDougal Street. I've also got those show dates and a link to those tickets as well as others in the schnotes. The show notes, you know, where everything you could possibly need while I continue to delay making a proper website. Come on out to see some stand-up, all right? Uh, the Champagne Room, as many of you know, is our super free, super fun, super sex-positive Discord server. 
It's not a man whore podcast Discord server as much as it is a sex positive Discord server, though we do have an episode discussion channel where you should all go to share your two to five cents on any one episode. There have been some good comments. The the intros have been tighter lately, and I want to read just a few of these. Um, Shoe Booty, responding to episode 505 with Elise Morales, she says, as I was catching up on my listening, I was shocked that you didn't get a plus one to your own sister's wedding. I was also shocked. As someone who just hosted a wedding, it is a party, and you make sure your guests have a good time. That includes allowing them to bring a date regardless of time together or official relationship status. I find it selfish that weddings are seen as this power play by a couple with phrases like, it's my day. Thank you, Shoe Booty, for your support. I don't know if I agree if uh, everyone should get a plus one. That sounds like it could get expensive, but I do think like brother of the bride should get an unconditional one, particularly if every single sibling and step-sibling is in a committed romantic relationship and got those as plus ones. I just think you throw Billy a bone again, if anything, to keep me away from your friends. You know what I do for work. You really want that coming up? Mr. Nathan J.W., he chimed in responding to episode 507 with Ellen Stagg, where I <laughs> I just, you know, very offhandedly said, what even is a side? He was very kind to attach an article that defined it. So if, if you don't know, a side is someone who does not engage in anal sex, basically, in, uh, in like gay relationships or male-on-male relationships. We, most of us all know that there are tops. We know there are bottoms. There are also sides, and I just didn't realize that that's what that was. They're mostly about just, they just do everything, but it's kissing, hand jobs, rimming, BJs, just anything without a dick going into the ass. And now you know. Thank you, Nathan, for sharing that. Uh, and lastly, Tracy responded to last week's episode 508. She comments, I really enjoyed you just answering questions about yourself. I know you thought everyone knows everything about you, but us newbies don't. So it was really fun to watch and listen to you do the podcast because I, uh, I I streamed myself recording that portion of last week's show in the champagne room for free for anyone to watch and listen to. Thank to all of y'all who uh, drop into the episode discussion channel with your comments, with your thoughts, with your opinions about each week's show. And you can share your thoughts. You can join a variety of conversations. You can help us water a virtual tree at manwhorepod.com slash discord, or click the link in the you-know-where schnotes. Dr. Ina Park, she was on episode 380 of the Man Whore podcast when she was promoting her book, Strange Bedfellows, Adventures in the Science, History, and Surprising Secrets of STDs. And I saw something in the news about doxycycline and the CDC, and I wanted to have her on to uh, contextualize this because uh, up until... Recording with her, I wasn't even sure how to pronounce doxycycline. Cycline. Ah! Anyways, let's go learn a bit from Dr. Ina Park. Doxycycline. He doesn't know anything else about anything, but... Yeah, doxycycline. That's the new Marvel hero, right? Sounds like it, actually. (laughs) Well, Dr. Ina Park, welcome back to the show. Thank you. 
So I saw something in the news, made me think of you, and you know I had questions, so I figured uh, a lot of my audience might have questions if they've seen this. Recently, the CDC is looking into this drug, doxycycline, as kind of a morning-after pill for certain STIs. Uh, curiously enough, they're, they're only maybe going to recommend it to certain populations. So could you tell us a little bit about what is doxycycline? What is yeah. it that the CDC is looking into? And uh, how well am I pronouncing the name of this drug? You are pronouncing the name of this drug brilliantly, Billy. And I will say that doxycycline, so for those listeners uh, out there might be saying, hey, I've heard of that drug. Well, yeah, it's been around since the late 50s. So um, it's a drug for which we have a very long track record of use. And it's used um, very commonly for people who have acne. And it's used also for skin infections or respiratory infections. Um, if you get like a pneumonia, for example, you can use doxycycline. And um, it's also used if you ever travel and have to take um, medication to prevent malaria, it's used there. So it's used for all, we should just put it in the water. You know what I mean? It's really good for lots of things. But there, the CDC put out this um, kind of preliminary guidance, and they're actually asking people to send in their comments. So it's available for public comment right now. Um, whether or not you know you think that you agree with the recommendations or not, and and the recommendations right now would be to take this morning after pill of doxycycline, two hundred milligrams actually, which will actually end up usually being two pills, and you take it anywhere um, up to seventy two hours after you have unprotected sex. So that would so any condomless sex, so that would be oral, vaginal, anal. Um, and you know any anything that could transmit a bacterial STI like chlamydia, gonorrhea, or syphilis. So you could take it. Let's say you have you know you have sex with someone, and then you can take it ten minutes later if you want to. But you do have um, you know you do have a few days to take it, and sooner is better. And the reason why you'll see in CDC's recommendations, it's only recommended for men who have sex with men and transgender women. And that's not because it doesn't work in other male bodies or other people who are, you know, born female, you know, the, the drug doxycycline still works against infections, but for this particular use, which is a morning after pill for STIs, it's only really been studied and shown to be effective in men who have sex with men and transgender women. They studied it only one study in cisgender women, and it did not uh, show any difference than the usual um, kind of standard of care of just testing and treating when you got an infection. So it should, there's no reason why it shouldn't work in anyone who takes it. But right now, the only information that we have to base recommendations on is on those populations that I mentioned, you know, men who have sex with men and transgender women. So other, you know, queer, non-binary folks, um, trans men, et cetera, again, no information. So it sounds like you answered one of my questions, which is like, scientifically, right. there's not a good reason why these drugs wouldn't work well for anyone. But the recommendation comes from mostly just like the studies that exist for now. There are a lot of studies that go into, you know, what they call men who have sex with men. Um, there's uh, a lot of studies that happen around like STIs in, in that community. So I get why we have this data. Mm -hmm. And I read that they tried it with cis women, but for some reason it just like couldn't hit. Like maybe they weren't being exposed as much to like chlamydia and gonorrhea. Well, you know, that's an inter interesting question. Like the folks, they did it in Kenya and all of these women were also taking HIV 
pre-exposure prophylaxis or PrEP, which you may have heard of, Billy. But um, and a lot of them had you know an STI at baseline, so they thought, oh, maybe they're in the right networks. Like you know, like you want when you're doing a study like this. You want to be testing it in networks where people are actually going to be getting lots of STIs, so that you can see whether or not the drug works. Right? If you're if you do it with in a in a in a group of right. like fifty year old, you know, hetero married people, probably you're not going to be able to do the study, right? So you so that's the thing about doing the study in certain populations is well, they think well, there's going to be a high incidence of infection, so we'll be able to see whether or not it works quickly, right? So they thought that this population of women would actually, you know, demonstrate some sort of like efficacy for the intervention. But what happened was, and they did a, they they just did like a sub study of those women and they actually took samples of their hair and they were able to analyze whether or not there was doxycycline metabolites in there. And um, it looks like a little bit um, less, like a little bit less than half of the women didn't have any doxycycline in their system at all. So what that means is that some of the women just didn't take it. Yeah, I think it works if you take it, but I can't prove it. <laughs> so that's why the CDC won't say, okay, it's fine to use in cisgender women. It's fine to use in trans men. Like, So we just don't have any information that it works in those populations. And in fact, the one study we have in women actually demonstrated that it didn't work. But I think it's because a lot of the women didn't actually take the drug. Because if you're like, participating oh, in these studies, I mean, come on, like opt out or... Do the fo- follow the instructions. Maybe I was just a rule follower. I, I was called a herb a lot in high school, but like, do the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes people want to sign up for your study because you might be paying them, right? Or there might be other benefits of being in the study, like you're getting free healthcare, you're getting all these other perks, but maybe you're not actually really interested in the study or the intervention. So there's that's the, that's the other thing that's tricky is that sometimes people... Yeah, but if we were testing the new iPhones, like... Right. Low stakes, low stakes, <laughs> you know, but I feel like participating in studies like this are like actual stakes and, you know, yeah. like it kind of matters for other people. Well, and this happened also, Billy, for the studies, the early studies of looking at HIV prep um, in cisgender women, the studies look like they didn't work. But when they actually analyzed um, both hair, they analyzed hair samples also, as well as blood samples from women and um a lot of women said they were taking the medication, but they weren't because they just wanted, um, you know, they wanted to stay in the study. And there was a lot of other benefits for staying in the study. And that's HIV we're talking about. Talk about a high stakes infection. Um, the other thing is, is that some people, if they, if their partner sees doxycycline or sees that they're taking HIV prep, they get accused of being a whore or, you know what I mean? Or a slut or they, or they also get suspected of being a sex worker. So they, there's actual, you know, physical harms that can come to some people if their partners suspect that they might be having sex with multiple partners, for example. So there are some real reasons there, but I feel really good about the data that we do have that I feel very convinced that it works in, you know, men who have sex with men and trans women. And I suspect that it would work for everyone, but I just don't, you know, I, I suspect if you take it, it works. That's kind of, you know, it's pretty simple, but um, I just don't have proof. But this drug, the pros of this drug is that it's incredibly cheap and it's generic. So there's not a lot of barriers cost-wise. It would be covered, anyone who was insured would have it, you know, covered in terms of insurance companies, 
you know, don't have like an, it's not like one of these drugs that is cost $10,000 a dose or whatever, or, or for a course. So I think really anyone could have access to it. And people who don't have insurance, even if you pay cash, it's really not very expensive. You can get it. You can get 30 pills, you know, um, with coupons like online through GoodRx, for example, you know, for less than $20. So I, I think that it could be an intervention that is really exciting for lowering the risk of STIs, but uh, we still have, you know, some way to go with getting more information and more populations. Cause I want to be able to say everybody can take it, you know, if, and when the CDC like does make this official, uh, obviously I, mm-hmm. I think a lot of straight people and cis women would yeah. want to get on board with this. And, you know, would yeah. there be any downside to them doing that? I mean, there's not really a lot of downsides to taking doxycycline every once in a while. Here's the thing is that what we don't know is like, let's say you're taking, you know, you're having condomless um, sex. And I, again, it could be oral, anal or vaginal. Let's say you're having condomless sex and you're switching partners a lot and you're taking it almost every day, right? Um, The question is, is there any long-term sort of downside to taking a lot of antibiotics? And that could be, you know, as you know, Billy, you've heard probably of the microbiome, right? It's like all the bacteria that make up our gut. And we, and the worry is, is like, yeah, I read about it all the time. It's like one of my favorite topics, Yeah, (laughs) New York jets and the microbiome. Those are my two favorite (laughs) things to read about. You're such an intellectual guy. Well, and you know, the thing is, is that what we don't know is like, if you take a crap load of antibiotics that you don't really need and is it going to mess up your microbiome and then it's that going to make you more vulnerable to other you know infections for example is that going to cause you diarrhea is that going to cause you know secondary effects that you don't want right and then the other thing is is that if as a population a lot of us are taking doxycycline is that going to then make other organisms other bacteria more resistant to doxycycline because there's more of it around in the environment Um, so we know that in the short term, you know, at least for those populations, it really does work. Um, it's very effective at reducing STIs, but long-term, I don't know, is it going to harm, cause other harms? Um, my suspicions for that are not that high, but I still, um, I'm cautious about it. I don't give it to every single person who walks in the door and say, Hey, you know, like throw the intervention at them. Like I think people who've had an STI in the last year, especially multiple STIs that says to me, okay, you're playing in some higher, you know, risk networks. Um, yeah. Like with most things, moderation. Yes. Uh, we maybe all shouldn't jump collectively. And at the same time on yes. this new near daily use drug, but it's something that could like be in your toolkit of sexual health. I agree. And, and especially like if you're playing in a network that you're really not used to being in and you don't know, like, you know, like if there's people that you're with regularly, you sort of know what's going on. And especially if you have agreements with people about how often you're testing and that kind of stuff, that's different. And then when you're jumping into a network where you don't know the folks when people are having lots of concurrent partners with each other, where it could be sort of a high risk situation, or if you know there are people you've slept with who are getting multiple STIs, this is a situation where you're like, okay, this, you know, doxypep, doxycycline as post-exposure prophylaxis or doxypep would be a good idea. 
Yeah, like if you were deciding, I think for our anniversary, hun, we'll go to a glory hole together. Who knows how many cocks we don't know we're going to interact with. So like maybe we'll take some doxy afterwards to celebrate, right? Yeah, (laughs) amazing. I love that idea. Yes, that's the perfect situation. And then one more quick question. I don't know if there have been studies about this, but would doxy interfere with birth control, which I know can uh, be affected by antibiotic use? Okay, so if you look in CDC's guidelines around that, they will say there is no interaction. If you look at the internet, if you read, don't read the internet. If you read the internet, the internet will say that in theory, doxy could reduce the efficacy of those birth control pills. You know, they have estrogen and um, and progesterone in them and they, you know, suppress people's ovulation. On the internet, it'll say, oh, doxy could interfere with your birth control. So you have to use something else while you're doing that. But I'll just let you know that right now, like, so in the draft guidelines that CDC put out, you know, that are just going to be revised when and made into final guidelines. They actually mentioned something about this, but the CDC actually put out their contraception guidelines to say that we don't need to worry about this. So you don't need to use a backup method if you're using doxycycline with, um, especially, especially in this sort of like occasional post-exposure you know, way with, with a birth control pill. So don't worry about it. Don't read the internet. Just listen to Dr. Ina yeah. Park. And listen to the CDC. Yeah. The CDC doesn't agree <laughs> with each other right now in this moment on this topic, but they're going to soon. So don't worry. Fantastic. <laughs> well, Dr. Park, thanks again for chatting with us. And I want to remind people that you have a book out. It's called Strange Bedfellows, Adventures in the Science, History, and Surprising Secrets of STDs. Uh, we talked about it yeah. on your episode, uh, Ep380, last year. And uh, where can people go to find you, follow you, uh, and check out your stuff? Uh, they can come to Instagram to Ina Park uh, MD, and uh, and I post about, you know, I'll post about this intervention actually, as well as you know other things related to sexual health. So come on down. Fantastic. Thanks again. And uh, why don't you go ahead and say goodbye to everybody. All right. Bye, everyone. Have good sex and have a good time. Before I get to this week's guest, Fancy Feast, it's time for the Fan Horror Appreciation Moment. Yes, this is the part of the podcast where I like to give shout outs to members of my Fan Horror community on Patreon. Now I just want to say thank you to a couple members who have supported the Manor Podcast with their dollars in addition to their downloads on Patreon. These people are receiving a slew of great rewards in addition to their shoutouts. They're getting special Discord-related benefits. They're getting access to over 300 bonus episodes. They're joining us in our Telegram group chat, The Peep Show. They're seeing behind-the-scenes bonus content on my Patreon feed and more. So right now, I want to say thank you so much to Elliot Cohen. I hope you enjoyed your peep into the peep show. Thanks for being a member. Thanks for supporting the show. And I want to give a shout out to Tyler Felsted. Thanks for showing your wallet's softer side by throwing me some shekels, buddy. Much appreciated. And you too can become a member and support the pod and receive a slew of great rewards. Enjoy the benefits of membership. Join the community at patreon.com slash podcast, or download the Patreon app, and you can find me on there. And now for this week's guest, Fancy Feast. She has a book of essays out now called Naked on Sex, Work, and Other Burlesques. 
had a had a really fun time chatting with her on this one. Uh, we we clicked well enough. We kind of went long, so there's a Patreon-only bonus episode coming out tomorrow. It's an extra 20 minutes of Fancy and I talking about sex parties and consent. Some really good stuff over there, but I think you're going to really enjoy this one, too. We're talking about her childhood dreams of wanting to take her clothes off. We're talking about her catfishy, long-distance virtual relationship with some man. I think it was in England. And we're debating, well, I mean, she's kind of discussing, I'm doing my best to mostly listen, uh, uh, on the question, does burlesque count as sex work? Sounds like a a great question for y'all to answer in the episode discussion channel in the Champagne Room. But for now, here's me and Fancy Feast. I went to film school. I did like audio editing. So I know what it's like when you get like two frames or whatever to cut in or like half a second it's it sucks so i'll i'll give you a nice long pause before i go well that was inappropriate and then re- restate <laughs> myself Inappro- oh no i would love for you to be accidentally inappropriate <laughs> yeah, that's would. where the magic is I bet that's, you would. then then you'd be brought down to my level and then that's that's, that's great we love that well, i'm here for a character <laughs> assassination so fire away <laughs> well you know it's fun like in like kind of more like uh in like the more progressive or sex positive or like you know more liberal circles the the well this is gonna be my cancellation then they'll say the thing and then it's so benign it's, it's benign it's but but like within that world fucking there will be fights absolutely but like you could ask 20 people on the street maybe one knows about that very niche situation uh where they're like no you don't understand we're calling it this and then no we're calling it this and they're like i didn't even know any of that existed i have my own cancellation fears about the book actually oh yeah like i think there's cancelable information in there so like i mean it's probably going to be something that i didn't foresee because that's often how it is it like exists in the spots that we're not aware of Uh but there is some stuff that when i wrote it i was like all right (laughs) like what's an example of that um like i think there there could be some beef about my um my legitimacy writing about sex work um the, even though i've done it i think i there's there's sometimes like a hierarchy or there's a sense of like i'm not a lifer or mm. because i have another job that it's it's it doesn't count i'm more of a hobbyist or a voyeur in that world um rather than like a a meaningful legitimized participant there's like a lot of infighting about that sort sure. of stuff in the sex worker community because it's 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 a hard life, really disenfranchised people, you know. Um, so I was like the essay about my phone sex client. I was like, this feels deeply cancelable. <laughs> no, no, that's the thing. It's like one you're worried about getting yelled at by like the people who don't even have enough power to cancel. And it's not like a thing where you're saying something like that. Like, if anything, it would be the fact that you did phone sex at all by, like, the mainstream. That's who would be look at you in a weird way, if anything. I can see that. But I don't care about the opinions of lay people. I do Mm -hmm. deeply care about the opinions of sex workers. (laughs) Is there worry about being, um, is being, like, kind of cast out of already, like, I don't want to say niche is not the the right word and the right one's not coming to me, but, like, Mm. marginalized, smaller, more specific community spaces and then if you don't feel like you fit in with the mainstream and you're kicked out of the space where you did feel like you fit in and now you don't fit anywhere is that a concern that you have i'm not quite as navel gazy as that but i do get it (laughs) i think it's more like um knowing that there are that sex working communities are already underrepresented in media and then the ones who are 
overly visible are like privileged white people and I'm I'm she, you know what I mean? So so being aware that I'm adding to the canon just based on my identity in a way that isn't necessarily like the most needed. Mm-hmm. But even the way you like you answer that right now, I assume that there's some sort of disclaimer in the book. I would imagine where you like almost like acknowledge like, by the way, like I know this about me, but this is my real life experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And also that doesn't get me off the hook. So Mm -hmm. like it wasn't going to be enough for me to not write something that felt really important. Um, But it is it is it's in there. It was like as I was writing that essay, that was that was in my head. Yeah. It's also part of why like I've never there's also the is one's identity what one does or how someone identifies like Mm -hmm. because one's done sex work like. Are you a sex worker? Technically, yes, or have been, yes. But like, I don't make sex worker part of like my identity just because I've done X and Y and Z. Like, I've done things, and but I'm not, I try not to make that my identity. Like, I, if we have to go with those words, like, I'm a comedian, I'm a podcaster. Right. Um, I have done sex work, but I don't like go around calling myself a sex worker. That makes sense. That's kind of how I feel as well. Um, I mean, I think under under capitalism, we're all <laughs> like required to make our work part of our identities in one way or another. Um, but it's not something that's central to my identity because the way that sex workers are marginalized is not um, the danger that I'm in. Yeah. So it feels it feels like incorrect to adopt the struggle that's not mine. Doesn't feel a little bit sad though that like, because like under capitalism, like your your profession becomes kind of your identity. There's people who like accountant has to be like their identity. Oof. Poor fuckers. Poor fuckers. <laughs> All that khaki, you know? <laughs> so sad. But we're here right now with Fancy Feast. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh Fancy Feast, you're a burlesque performer among many other um I don't you know, I don't want to put too many profession identities onto you. It's all I've got. <laughs> <laughs> but by the way, I have to ask what what the name? What how what's that about? So Fancy Feast is a name that I was given. So it's not one that I was clever enough to come up with. So I had a friend who was coming up with a stage name for herself and she had written a list of of potential ones. And she called me because she's like, I really like this name, but it's not a name for a skinny girl. And she was. Mm-hmm. So she's like, Do you want do you want it? Um and I love that it's each word like fancy implies this sort of like glamour, opulence. Feast is about this abundance, but then you put them together and it's this like really inferior, you know, bodega cat food. So the, the tension between the sublime and the abject is something that I play a lot with in my work. So it really has fit as a, as a name for me. Did you ever use other burlesque names before that? Um, very briefly in college, I tried being Boobs Radley. I thought that was cute, um, but every- I like it. There's a Boobs Radley in every town. I learned. Is oh, is that like is that like is that like burlesque hack? It is. <laughs> it is. It's like that's already out there. Yeah. Yeah. So had to had to sun sunset that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And 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 with the book, was there any was there anything else in there that you're like worried about before we go into probably more ple- uh, <laughs> fun. Less stressful topics? Um, I think I'm, I mean, I'm worried about everything. I'm worried about, um, I'm a little worried about being doxxed. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I know that like when women are visible in some ways or when like fat women or people who don't hate themselves, whatever, like that there's, that there's always potential danger there. Um, but, but no, most of the things in the book, I really, they needed to be included in order for the, for the book to make sense. Mm -hmm. So, if people have beef with it, they're permitted their beef. Like it's it's public now. People can be upset about it. Yeah. 
Okay. Let them be upset. And, and, and whether it's from one side or the other. Well, yeah. In my, um, in my book proposal, uh, so it's like a marketing document basically trying to sell, sell the book to the, to the publisher. Um, and, and part of it was like, I bet, you know, the sort of alt right is going to hate this book and therefore it may sell more units. So it's like one has to be aware of like who's going to hate you and if that can, if that can push more press or what. Yeah. So we'll see. You're like, yeah, they can hate me with their credit cards. Yeah. Yeah. If they want to like <laughs> buy it and burn it, they're still buying it. <laughs> You're like, I only support book burning of my book. <laughs> my thought was if there is going to be like the great inferno, my title needs to be in there too. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. We have like a minimum sell through we're trying to hit. So can we please? <laughs> One box, two boxes. Like what can I, how many units? <laughs> Fancy feast. You're out, you're out here like making like alt handles pretending to be alt right to <laughs> start the campaign against you. Yeah, this fat bitch. Look at how dare she. Yeah. You could be the Ray. Oh, who, Ray Ray Comp. Who's the uh, Ray Epps? You could be the Ray Epps of your book or whatever. I don't know who that is, and I'm not asking. <laughs> that's the that's the guy that like a lot of the Jan Six people like. They're trying to say no, he was FBI and he started the whole thing. Okay, yeah, maybe he wants to blurb the book. <laughs> um, so you've been doing burlesque a long time, mm-hmm. but you've dreamed of burlesque even longer. Always. Tell us about your dreams as a as a young gal wanting to take your clothes off for a living and Yeah, I feel like I've answered more questions about my childhood in this press tour than I'm used to. When you say I was a young lass and I wanted to strip when I grew up, it will beg questions. Fair. I think there's this idea that like no young girl grows up dreaming of wanting to become a stripper and it's like mm-hmm. no, I I did. I always did. Um the early sort of roots were um, Jessica Rabbit um, mm-hmm. from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I thought she was just the coolest person ever. Or like um, uh, Nomi Malone from Showgirls. Like I would watch that late at night sort of censored on on VH1. That just like bad girls and and like showgirls uh, were really fascinating to me as, as characters. Like the idea of that sort of vampy persona um, was so much more interesting than – heroines or ingenues um so I, I always wanted to be a bad girl and and i was uh always loose in my hips in dance class so i feel like one sort of followed the other so like how old do you think you are when you are going like and you whatever it is the version of i guess stripping that you mm-hmm. are how old are you when you are envisioning this and do you also understand like what it was that you wanted um, like were you chasing a vibe or like a profession I was chasing a vibe. Okay. I think I was it was pre-professional because I was three or four years old. Mm. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> the face I just made. <laughs> yeah, I was like I saw pictures of myself. Um, you know the um, like when you go on a a cruise and they have sort of like a little like activity jail for the children, so mm-hmm. the parents can like drink and gamble. Yeah. So in my little activity jail, we were doing some sort of musical review. And, um, we got to like pick our costumes and as like a three or four year old, I was like, it's going to be my two piece swimsuit because I really liked it. And I put on like an absurd amount of like sort of showgirl makeup and there's this picture of me and all with all the other little girls and they're all standing in a line being adorable. And I have like my hand on my hip, my leg cocked, you know, throwing my head back with my lipstick. And I was like, this is just, this is it. This is who it's been. This is what I want to be. It's yeah, it's a forever thing. And 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 did you take steps to kind of towards that? Were you 
in taking certain content media to like, you know, like you reference Showgirls and Jessica Rabbit. Like, mm-hmm. did you have certain posters in the room or? I didn't. I had a poster of a raccoon in my room. So, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no luck there. But I would like listen to the Chicago soundtrack and I was obsessed with Elvira and I would listen to her like comedy albums and watch her movies. She and, has comedy albums? Yeah. Or she, she did like, I know she did like a couple of songs. There was like a Halloween compilation okay. that she had a song for and I used to just like dance to it in my friend's basement all the time. <laughs> yeah. And then when the Spice Girls happened, Ginger Spice like had a very sort of sexy persona and had taken nude photos and I printed them out um, from my parents like family computer and and had them in a notebook. After three and a half hours of them downloading line by line by line. (laughs) The most pixelated (laughs) shit ever. But I just thought it was really cool. I thought she was really beautiful. Mm. The way that the way that she was performing gender or the way that sex workers perform femininity Mm. felt more in line with what I wanted because it had this sort of intoxicating exaggerated form to it that like it didn't it was it was not intended to be sort of um hmm, how do I want to say this it wasn't intended to be innate it was this idea of like a performance and that was that's always been how I experienced my gender Mm. so through through exaggerated performance, so that was something that I wanted for myself, and I thought being sexy was very powerful. Mm. You don't you don't do fem you don't feel like you do femininity day to day. That's like for the stage. You have to pay for it. Yeah, like if you want me to be <laughs> high femme, like that's it's gonna be money. Like Cause, well, because you don't want to be high femme in, in your day to day is no, what I'm getting it's, at. Oh, it's so much work. This is this like about where you want to be at, like what you know what I'm experiencing right now. Yeah, this is sort of like um, I would say like what what did we call this? Like a liberal arts canter. I feel like that's what you're gonna get day to day. <laughs> I mean, if I'm trying to, if I'm trying to fuck, or if I'm like, yeah, like if I'm, if I have a, a I love the way you, you like wound up your body to say fuck. <laughs> if I want to, and then like your neck cock, but then like your head goes forward with the fuck, <laughs> and then you just like kept talking. <laughs> yeah, or like if I want to make sure I'm gonna have a seat on the subway, then sure. I can, I can do high fam. Generally speaking, like I will put a big bag over my body and call it a day. It's a tool for you. It's to a tool. Use. Exactly. Yeah. And so I was like, I don't know what that does. And since I don't, I stopped wearing the cans like, I don't know, maybe like f- five years ago. Cause mm-hmm. I, when I started talking to the porn stars, they didn't want to wear the cans cause the, ha- the hair's done. Absolutely. So I was like, well, if you're not wearing them, I'm not going to wear them. Cause I just look like a dork in front of you. <laughs> so I'm going to take these off. But then sometimes I'm like, oh shit, if something happens inside of this piece of machine, uh-huh. I don't find out till it's plugged into the, to the web. Like there's, um, there've been a couple times in very specific parts of New York city where this, or like it, I think I've been, I've read online. It's the wire. Uh-huh. If you have like a weak XLR, it sometimes can catch like AM frequencies and so, but it's always like a fucking demonizing sermon. And so I, I like interviewed a dominatrix once where like we have the, we saw the headphones on, but we could hear and the blood of the sinners will rain down upon thee. And I was like, I think he's talking about us. That's so hot. <laughs> <laughs> um, w- would you say you were always kind of like the mature for your age one? Uh, yes. You had this mature vibe goal at four mm-hmm. um and and beyond right and so so like were you were you kind of like a precocious youngster like say with dating were you the were you the second grader who like had always had a boyfriend or no i didn't i didn't date for a really long time but i was i did have a have a lot of i guess 
unearned maturity. Mm-hmm. Um, like in third grade, I remember I made a diorama of Edgar Allan Poe's A Cask of Amontillado, the short story where, you know, the guy walls up the other guy in the um, in the catacombs. Yeah. Yeah. So that you, was, you were that girl uh, in grade school. Yes, I was. Where you go up and you proudly present your, your project and then everyone's just staring at you terrified and like one and like the teacher's soft, like trying to clap enthusiastically. Give it up. Give it up for fancy. <laughs> give it up for fancy. And all the kids are just like, I need to call my mom. <laughs> well, fortunately, I wasn't. I mean, I was a spooky kid, but I was also I had social skills. Thank God. So I was always like I was loved, if not understood. Um, mm. but, but the, the maturity didn't like meant that I had a lot of friends and meant that I was a good sort of go-to for advice, but I was doing a lot of, um, a lot of that, a lot of advising, but not a lot of living that life. And part of it is that like, if you're, if you're a sixth grader, the appropriate people to date are sixth graders and the inappropriate people are adults. Oh, and no. I, you know what I mean? Here and I go. was like, I was a sexually precocious kid who was interested in adults, which is like, not the vibe yeah but like i was on the internet chatting with older men like aim was a thing yep, you yep. know so so i the was AOL chat room where like the lesbian chat room where it was just a bunch of men pretending to be lesbians trading porn with each other there's something really sweet about that actually now thinking about what a nightmare the internet has turned into but back in the day when you could actually be whoever you wanted to be i thought it was like a really beautiful way to try on a different identity yeah what, what identities did you try on um, oh, okay. So I was 27 when I was 12. Um, and I, and I gave myself kind of a norm core life because I thought that would allow me to, um, be the, have the most ver- verisimilitude. So I like worked in an office. I, you know, I had a strained relationship with my boss. Um, <laughs> you knew that these details mattered. I did. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Oh, no. And I feel really bad for the people that I was talking to because I was talking to some people who were verified adults and and I did not I did not mean to get them in a sort of catfish scenario like that. But I was just really sick of being in middle school. <laughs> yeah. And my mom found out, which was oh, shit. not ideal. <laughs> so I got in trouble. How did she find out? Uh, oh, okay. So one of them that I was really into was in England and I didn't know how international phone calls were billed. So for the children listening, once upon a time, you could be on the phone or the internet. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) And so I had run up a (gasps) $1,000 phone bill. Fancy. I told you I've been a bad girl. (laughs) It's such a bad girl. So bad. <laughs> you were practicing your dom skills at such a young age. I was. <laughs> <laughs> the true, the true pay pigs are my parents. <laughs> <laughs> Please put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> parents are the true pay pigs. <laughs> oh, no. And did your mom like confront this man? Yes. Um, but he didn't know that I was a child. Sure. So it was like a really horrifying thing for him as well. And then because he was like nice and very like clearly not a pedophile or a dangerous man, um, my mother and he like chatted amiably for a while like after she had verified that he mm. wasn't he wasn't scary yeah and had like actually permitted for our communication to continue but he oh, wow. voluntarily decided that that was not not the vibe Nah, because like now what are we going to talk about exactly yeah yeah <laughs> we can still talk about Edgar Allan Poe he's like it's just not the same not the same it's not the same mm-hmm. uh so how long has this man and your mom been married no okay <laughs> <laughs> what a no. meat cute that could have been. God, I wish him well. I like really, now that I look back on it, it is something that like, 
if there is such a thing as like weighing my sins in heaven, I feel like someone's going to have something to say about. Did you ever like go find him like online, like in adulthood to be like, I, I was that 12 year old or whatever. When I went to England, um, I'm I'm bound to excitement that there's maybe an answer to this one. Yes, I mean, thank you for asking. Yeah, I I I went during my like Euro trip, sort of post high school, so like technically legal, but not so far out of my adolescence. Yeah. Um. And I and I I had reached out. I never got a response, and I think that was really the right the right call. But I I still had an email address that didn't bounce back at the time. Wow. Wow. Uh, you're forming, you were forming personalities, you had these mature goals. And then like when you're an adult, you can actually start to realize them. So when did you first try to realize this vibe that you wanted to put out into the world? So my college had, um, had sort of a, an annual, uh, sex themed dance event on campus. Um, and, uh, there would be like an educational component and then kind of just like an orgy. Okay. I went to a very cool college. Would you? Okay. You can't say probably, but no. yeah. Okay. But the, the people who know, know very okay. well. Um, and so. That feels so like Holyoke. That feels very Holyoke-y. <laughs> We're in the right territory. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. I think uh, I, I think I dated someone who played rugby for your school. Okay. It's- <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk off, off tape. Um, so, so it was a time to dress up in a sort of, sexy way and um and be be perceived in that in that manner as well so i i remember like my little outfit with my fishnets and the corset that i had gotten from some like historical reenactment website <laughs> i was doing my best i didn't know um <laughs> and and the thrill of being sort of publicly visible in a sexual way um was really exciting i mean i guess if you if you trace it back i was like testing my limits as jailbait, yeah. you know, like for attention at the mall. But I feel like that's that's a little more scattershot than having that sort of intention. And and how did it feel to to like be viewed? Like what was you were on a stage, right? I was no, I or was you were just, just at this party. At the event, yeah. And how did it feel to like see eyes on you? So good. You know, yeah. Yeah. I was like, this is right. Appropriately aged eyes on you. How did that feel? <laughs> I wasn't into anybody. I wanted to fuck my professors. <laughs> oh my God. Fucking. I, I'm, a, I'm afraid to ask who you're into now. You're like, like, sometimes I go to the nursing home and I'm just seeing like who has a last wish. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I've, I've settled into my demographic now. I think like my desire is now sort of um, appropriately matched to my tax bracket or my age or whatever. Yeah. And it, and in college, like when you're when you're feeling that and you're being able to put this vibe out there, like are you, are you like are you dating? Like and how how is that going? I did you know you were poly and queer then? No, no, um, I did not. I was, I did most of my dating outside of my college. Mm. So like during vacations over the summer, um, because I was interested in older guys again, hard to find on campus. So, <laughs> so I would, I would have my sort of shore leave, um, when I wasn't at school. And then at school, I would have these sort of brief moments of deep longing that didn't really materialize. But like, I ended up having sex with a bunch of people from my college after graduating. Like I've had more sex with people who went to my college since than during. And when did you start dabbling in the sex work? So I've been in the sex industry for a long time. Um, when I graduated from college, it was sort of at the, 
at a really bad point in the financial crisis. So I applied to a bunch of jobs, but I had like a film, a French film theory wow. degree, which, you know, put me at the very bottom of, of what was desired as like an employee. So two places had called me back for an interview. I applied to maybe like 30, 40 places. And it was, it was, a, a sex toy store and a ghost tour company and the ghost tour company I figured was seasonal work. So I went with, with the sex toy store. So, so that was my, my first, my first foray in the sex industry. I, that was not sex work. That was okay. retail work, but yeah. it, it connected me to a lot of like my manager was a pro dom um, because, you know, retail wages are rough. So, so it was a way of getting involved with like queer, sex positive, non-monogamous communities, kinky people, um, people who became like my, my dearest friends. Was that a world you had already been like reading about, knew about much, or was it, were you exploding into a whole new world? It was, it was not new to me because I'd sort of been, as you said, I'd been like the sex friend. Um, I'd been the one to answer lots of questions about mm. sexuality and I was the, the person that, um, a lot of the kids in my high school would come out to. So it had, it had always been sort of in my, in my wheelhouse. This has like been my community. It just, I hadn't been able to walk into one that was already created. Okay. So when do you go from like just working at a sex toy shop to getting a little bit more hands on in that space? Um, let's see. So like, well, a couple months in to working retail at the sex toy store, I was uh, hired to to pass out safer sex supplies at a at an orgy. Um, and so, again, it's like one of these things. It's like at the very margin of like what some people might consider sex work and some people don't. And then I guess I was trying to find a sugar daddy. And I guess that was that was the first more formal uh, sex work work that I did um, to to try to supplement my my retail income. And you and you found one? Yeah. So I had I had a couple of false starts. And that was an essay that didn't make it into the book. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know why I didn't write about him. I didn't feel ready to. I had a guy who uh, he had a very literary Craigslist post. And this is back when Craigslist was fun. RIP. I know. That was my that was my jam. There's so much weird kooky shit on there. I loved it. 20% of my career is built on the fact that like I was very active on Craigslist. I, I miss it. Um, and so he was he like made some allusion to Nabokov and was like looking for a you know sugar baby. And I, I responded and um we went out and we had like a really nice night. He took me to a steakhouse and then he had like told me that I was too fat. Um, but he was like, you know, I would love to be friends and hang out. And I was like, woof. So yeah, so he paid me for that, um, for having dinner with him. And I bought my first latex dress with that money. Oh. Yeah. But then, um, in line at the bathroom of a sex party, I met the person who became my, my sugar daddy. Um, in a much more sort of fun, organic way. And and how how does that organically happen? Because that sounds like the holy grail. That sounds like the um, the 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 yeah. It just sounds like um, sounds like um, oh, what's a, what do they call it when the stories are um, urban legend. That's what it is. Some wow, too good my to be brain true. Is shit. not working out right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like urban legend. It sounds like lore of to be you know. I, know, I was in line of sex party bathroom and then next thing i know i've got you know a monthly allowance well okay if you want me to add some like real pretension fuel to the fire yeah it's an hour long ish you know chat I've, <laughs> you're you're welcome to explore the space <laughs> um i identified the musical piece that the notation of was was this person's tattoo like 
It was, um, I guess it's like John Cage's four minutes and 33 seconds, which is, uh, sure. yeah, I think that's, I think that's who did it. I don't know. Um, but it's, it's a, a like a, a musical piece, like a, an orchestral piece that's all rests. Like there is no actual music. So it's just the, the orchestra sits there for four minutes and 33 seconds while the conductor conducts. It's like a conceptual piece. So no. So I, what? No. Well, no, it's <clears throat> art. No. So. <laughs> no. No. That's like when I went to the MoMA and there was – and it's it the only time I went to the MoMA because I got so angry. I was like – that the chick I was with had to hold my hand because there was a blank white canvas and that was it. And like in my head I thought some dude got paid like tens of thousands of dollars for just putting primer on this. No. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Elon Musk gets paid for like his parents having an emerald mine. So I feel I feel more okay with I mean it's fine if they want to get paid for the thing. I'm just like I'm not calling that art. <laughs> no. I mean I'll, I'll I'll call what the 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 conductor's doing maybe exercise cuz it sounds like he's very busy uh for no reason but you know. <laughs> well you sound like my dad and I mean that in the in a loving way cuz I remember taking my dad to an art museum and he rated everything A for art or B for bad. He had that binary. So like I get it. Like, <laughs> I understand. Um, it's like, do chomp, do no. <laughs> do no. <laughs> yeah, so see Nepal in a piece of art. Um, but yeah, no, I, so I, so I clocked, I clocked the tattoo and that oh. was, I was a, um, very, the, the most interesting person in line for the bathroom of the orgy after that. So then we were in, in contact and this person, um, they, they, we stayed in touch over email and then they like, confessed to me that they had a financial fetish like that that it was hot for them the idea of like spoiling some pretty young thing and like yeah just throwing a lot of money and buying a lot of lingerie at this person and i was like oh, i can be that person had you heard of this type of um thing before yeah okay. definitely and and like what kind what kind of monthly allowance are we getting it wasn't we didn't do a monthly okay. um this was sort of like when we would see each other i would walk away with like a, an envelope of cash and and other sundries okay yeah but it was it was very informal um i didn't i didn't set a sort of allowance cuz that also wasn't part of what was hot for them it okay. was just like a um i i loosely take care of you rather than like this like strict uh arrangement exactly yeah right that it's like the the sort of benevolence of like here's how much my good little whore gets this time you know? <laughs> and how how long did that relationship last? Um, so the formal relationship lasted maybe like a year or something, and then it it developed into like a just a fondness and into sort of more of a friendship, and then they transitioned, and then it, so it wasn't it wasn't sort of the the gendered relationship anymore, and and you know they came to my birthday and stuff and. We chat. Was the transition when the financial part got out or when it became – or was it before that uh, that first turn you described? So the the money dried out first and then we were friends and then okay. they went through their gender journey, you know, some years subsequently. Yeah. And then had you tried – did you try – did you keep trying the sugar baby after that? Because um, like today, the market seems fucked. Right. Exactly. <laughs> no. Um, My financial circumstances had changed at that point and my – there were more – um, demands on my time. Mm -hmm. So like performing was really picking up and had, had taken on, it was like about a half to a third of my income. So I was able to just sort of lean in that way instead. Okay. Yeah. And now I know, I know you talk about this in the book, the concept, I actually had not heard this as a question before, because I don't think I've considered it to be 
but I didn't even know that this was like a debate, but the concept of like, is burlesque sex work? And I think we would think of strippers. Okay, that's clearly sex work, right? But burlesque is not so simply stripping. Just like the idea is like, I do see stripping like at a strip club so different than a burlesque act. And so yesterday when that was like even posed as a question, I was like, oh, interesting. So I guess, do you consider burlesque sex work? And then also, and if not, why do some people do? Mm. Well, so first I want to push back on the idea that burlesque Please. is more of an art form than stripping. I showed up here praying you'd put i was just like i very much expect this person to push back hard at me if in fact i if i don't get kicked out of her apartment midway through the interview like i didn't do my job no absolutely um, <laughs> like when i when i texted you i expected you i, I thought you might text back no, totally fine i thought i was like yeah but i listened to an interview with you and it sounded like you have like very minimal patience for men so i want to <laughs> apologize for being a little late <laughs> Um, I'm not going to top you if that's the... (laughs) No, but um, please, please um, push. So I've seen some really lazy, shitty burlesque and I've seen a lot of incredible stripping. Mm -hmm. And I've also seen performers who work in both milieus and people who like, you know, yeah, or or do burlesque on the weekends but work at the club during the week or whatever and do the same act or similar kinds of acts. Mm -hmm. So I don't think, I don't think it's as much of a binary. And I also think, I don't know if you've ever been to, have you been to the strip clubs in Portland? I went once, but like, I really, I'm not a strip club guy. I okay. think I've been to a strip club for non-business purposes, like two or three times in my life. Sure. Every other time it's like a publicist said, my, my girl's dancing there and I'm not even paying attention because I'm enjoying the free drink. So uh-huh. like strip clubs, I, like I'm just not a strip club guy. Fair. <clears throat> um, but I do hear Portland is like a wild stripper scene. It's the best. And I saw, I saw the most like creative artistic stripping that I think I've ever seen in my life, um, at a strip club called Mary's, um, where there isn't even a DJ. There's just a jukebox next to the stage, which is like three feet by three feet. It's so cool. Um, so in terms of, in terms of the distinction, I think some people would think of their burlesque as sex work. Some people don't. Generally speaking, I don't. I think of it as it's, it's more, uh, like, performance arty um we tend to be in like bar and theater spaces um we're beholden to producers rather than to customers Mm -hmm. or or clients generally um there are times where we'll be asked to go-go dance and then we're like you know dancing for tips and that feels maybe more aligned with things that people would consider sex work yeah um but i just never want that distinction to be used as like a badge of I'm cool. I'm a badass. Like I'm a I'm a sex worker. Um, For you saying the burlesque girls, you're like you don't want you don't think burlesque girls should go wear that badge because they do burlesque, Just- right? That like if you're right. if that's the way that you identify that it's not coming from a place of like because I want to be part of this like cool kids club, mm-hmm. um, but more because there is a politic related to how sexualized labor is is viewed and treated, um, and that if if so it's like yes, no, sometimes. Like I, I think I think there's not one right answer. And that it is it is conditional. Like there are times where the work that I've done feels more aligned with the sex work that I've done, and times where I'm just like I feel very clearly in a more sort of theatrical persona. But historically, there wasn't a difference. Like before strip clubs really became a thing in the thirties, forties, fifties, you would go to the burlesque house and that's where they had comedians and um, you know, sideshow performers and they would do skits and then there would be like a, a stripping girl, a dancing girl. And those performers were also often 
performing to sell their wares in the way that like um like a sex worker is going to do or like a stripper is going to do um like a stage show mm. and then sell dances afterwards. Yeah. So a lot of the the burlesque queens would also then like would would strip and then sell sell extras like do additional services. And but so back then were the strippers were kind of all the strippers a little burlesque in that like like, because you had to dress it up a bit, otherwise, you know, you can't just take your clothes off. That would be obscene. We got to give it artistic value. Like, was that the mentality a hundred years ago? I, you know, I, I wasn't there, so I can't, I can't you say weren't? for sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. okay. I can't say what the what the mentality was, but that there wasn't, there just wasn't a, a difference. Like, g strings weren't, yeah, a, a thing for. If a while you took or your tits out and accepted money, you were in the same bucket, regardless what you know niche word you want to call it. Exactly. Okay, that's right. And so then there was there was a, a sort of bifurcation when um, when strip clubs became its own sort of distinct thing, and burlesque kind of went away as an art form for several decades. Like the rise of the strip club in the in the seventies and eighties closed a lot of the burlesque houses, which were so much more expensive to run. Um, like having all of these extravagant costumes, having to pay like all of the the comedians or whatever. Right. Um, so it was just a different model. And then there was a burlesque resurgence in the late nineties and early two thousands that sort of reconnected with the roots of burlesque performance, like the physical sort of theatricality that of it. Late. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, there were some people doing it in the 80s a little bit but but it wasn't like a thing it wasn't a thing and it wasn't until the internet that people really found each other so it was like in these like msn groups or like on yahoo or live journal where people were like lady you've been you've been taking me back today like i'm oh feels good i feel warmth in my shoulders right now Ah, good internet was good (laughs) this is what i'm saying (laughs) what what brought burlesque back into the into the mainstream uh i would say there was there was this group of of people who were there to who like found each other on the internet through their interests in classic burlesque burlesque of the like 30s 40s 50s so it was sort of like a like a little fandom mm-hmm. um and wanting to preserve the memories the artifacts wanting to connect with those those performers who had been part of the heyday as well as reinventing the genre in a sort of more riot girl, like punk rock kind of way. So when there was a lot of, a lot of emphasis on, um, satire and politics and like punk and DIY, that, that those two things got really connected. Mm-hmm. So there were several performers in New York who found each other and, and started making it more of a thing. Okay. Okay. And so to bring back to the, <clears throat> and just like kind of like bring back to the sex work question, like, why is it that some people uh, feel strongly that it is? I know people who have lost their jobs, like teachers who are not allowed to teach in schools anymore because their burlesque careers were found out by a parent or things mm-hmm. like that. And that feels connected to the kind of stigma that is specific to sex working communities. So I think those folks have have a lot of legitimacy around like how they how they would identify. Um and I think for some people, there's this idea that if you are, if you are stripping in any way, if you take your clothes off, if people get horny as a result of the thing you do, then you're a sex worker. Okay. So I, I guess they're entitled to their opinion. It's just not, not the one I share. Sure. All mm-hmm. right. Um, <clears throat> I have a, uh, so, yeah. All right. Um, in my, uh, in our Discord chat, uh, wow. Okay, Billy, words. I've done this before. Mm-hmm. 
so in our Discord server, the Champagne Room, uh, we have a patron-only channel called Ask the Guests. Uh, all my Patreon members, if they want to ask a question to the upcoming guests, they can ask them. And uh, so if it's uh, if it's a great question, I wish it was mine. If it's a bad question, it not my idea. Blame the Champagne um, Room. <clears throat> absolutely. So uh, Tracy wants to know, had two questions. One, what's the craziest proposition you've gotten by an audience member? The craziest proposition I've ever gotten by an audience member. Let me think. Well, what I consider crazy is when people ask me to work for free. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if that's going to be as satisfying. Like, I, I wish there was somebody who's like, oh, you know, could you perform at my, like, kid's bris or something like that. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't done that one. <laughs> can you try, can you slowly rip the foreskin off <laughs> your shoulder? It's like a shawl, but like it looks like foreskin. <laughs> oh, the, I, I have a friend who has a moil act, so, you know, we could make it work. Wow. Yeah, but um, no, it's not. Okay, so this isn't my story, but I feel like my answer is not satisfying, so I'm going to give you someone else's. But I want to go back to your answer because it's such a real one, but let's do this fun one first. Okay, okay. great. So so I have friends who are in a troupe, and they were hired to perform at this dude's uh, sex party that he was throwing, I think in like New Mexico somewhere, um, which is not – that is not crazy – but the day before or like the sort of afternoon before the orgy, he went out into the desert and did a bunch of peyote and died. And so the at some point, the like wife of this late gentleman called called the troop to be like, hey, so this happened. So the orgy's off. But if you're going to be in town for the next couple of days, we would love to have you perform at the memorial. And they were sadly on tour, so they were going to be leaving the state no. shortly, so they couldn't do it. But they were like, oh, if we oh, performed no. at like a wake or <laughs> whatever, that would be that would be something. That had been fucking something. Yeah. But on the topic of like people want to perform for free, I it, it, there is something where, and especially I think if it's done via the internet and mm-hmm. it's not like a, we sat at a table to work out a deal, <clears throat> I think people like think they're shopping on Amazon or or haggling on Craigslist for an item like this bottle or this table mm-hmm. and they forget there's like people working. For me the the thing that drives me crazy is when it's it's like corporate is asking me to do something for free. The idea that like I would do some some sort of uh I don't know what like roaring 20s themed event or whatever and they're like you know we don't have a budget to pay you but we think your performance is great and we'd love to have you it would be great exposure that kind of thing and i'm like you pay your ceo like you know 50 million dollars a year like fuck you how about he just treats the office to a burlesque show yeah exactly like have his jet come pick me up and we can talk (laughs) um yeah, I find that I find that to be a very a crazy request. One th- one question I had before we go, I don't normally write questions before, but I did have this one on the train. I was mm. like, because it probably has a colorful answer. Can you describe the, your favorite burlesque act you've seen? Oh, yes, of course, absolutely. Uh, so, Matt Frazier and Julie Atlas Muse have a duet to Elvis Presley's American Trilogy. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with these people. You just said a lot of words except for Elvis that I did not know. Okay, great. So uh, it's it's like a latter-day Elvis song. And Matt Frazier is an incredible performer, an amazing MC. He was in um he was in a season of American Horror Story, the one that was set in the in the Carnival Sideshow. Whatever. Okay, yeah, yeah. Wait, who's in the Carnival Sideshow? Um he was Paul the Seal Seal Boy. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's one of the few ones I watched. Okay. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's fantastic. Um, and so he's like 
uh, out on stage, fully nude, except for like a little tuxedo jacket. And and American Trilogy, the song is is the one where Elvis is singing like glory, glory, hallelujah, um. you know. And it's just this. Uh, well, so then Julie Julie um, dances on stage and is is fully naked and is um, is like doing a lot of uh, very sort of um like Martha Graham like very expressive contemporary dance. Uh, fully naked and then uh, goes behind Matt and then between his legs and sort of um, car washes herself tea bags you know herself with his enormous dick and balls wait what with her, her face like she's just like you know wait is his dick and balls out yeah he's full nude full nude except so for both, a tuxedo jacket oh well oh yeah okay so they there there's no striptease in this act <laughs> like they're just oh, naked okay at least I don't think there is I haven't seen it in a couple years um and and then she like does a full nude headstand and spreads her legs, and I don't remember if he actually inserts his dick in or if he just kind of flops it out on her pussy while singing this this sort of like patriotic American song, and that is my favorite burlesque act. Where did you see that? <laughs> I've seen it a number of times. Oh, okay. <laughs> It travels well. Gotcha. Costume is very small. Well, people, I guess, look out for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and, and again, Fancy, you have a book that is out. Where can people go find it, follow it? Tell us the name of it. Oh, yeah. So my book is called Naked on Sex, Work, and Other Burlesques. It's going to be available wherever books are sold. So um, bookshop.org is where I'm urging people to go if they're buying online. Go to your local bookstore. Um, yeah, Amazon if you're a, a dirty birdie. Um <laughs> Uh, dirty, dirty bird who can't wait another one to two days of shipping. Yeah, just chill out. <laughs> yeah. When did you ever need a book now? When did you, when did you ever need it two days? And you can wait three to four. For the bonfire. <laughs> For the bonfire. Oh, yeah. When all the alt-right dudes are just like, we're in a rush. Because we look, we have a burning on Thursday. It's Monday. And sometimes, you know, sometimes the weather. So just we want to make sure we have it in time. Exactly. Um, and then you can follow me on Instagram at Fancy Feast Burlesque, all one word. Um, I used to talk about Twitter, but Twitter is now just like a, a little nightmare hole. So we're gonna we're gonna pretend it doesn't exist. <laughs> Fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, well, Fancy, thanks so much for chatting with me. This is very fun. It's nice to get to know mm -hmm. you. Um, and you know, I'm I'm a little disappointed I didn't get kicked out, but it's you can okay. still leave. I mean, it's <laughs> fine. I did plan to leave. I promise. <laughs> um, I was gonna do that. Um, but for now, why don't you go uh, tell? Yeah. But for now, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell everybody? Wow, what is COVID fog brain. Hell yeah. Is like, I, like I haven't had it in like a year and a half and yet, woo, okay. We're going we'll to run gonna that back. It. We're going to mm -hmm. close it strong. Mm -hmm. Is this getting edited out? God, no. <laughs> Let's go. Let's, we're going we're gonna to close this strong together. Mm -hmm. Okay. Fancy, mm -hmm. thanks so much for chatting with us. This was great. And, uh, you know, why don't you go ahead and say goodbye to everybody? I got it. I made it. <laughs> I made it. This was an absolute pleasure. Goodbye, everybody. If you want to share your thoughts on this week's show, the best place to do that is in the episode discussion channel in our Discord server, The Champagne Room. Sounds like a great question to start with if you want to is, do you think burlesque counts as sex work? And if you want to shoot me an email, maybe you want to go a little longer, maybe you want to share a bit more privately, you can send your thoughts, your comments, your questions, your titty pictures, with or without pasties on them to manwhorepod at gmail.com. 
There's something about re faux requesting titty pictures that felt more cheeky and boyish when I was 26, 27, and now feels, I don't know, uncomfy at 34. It's like I'm not actually asking for them. I feel like that, that would be cringy. I'm doing it tongue in cheek, but also like I'll look at them if they're sent. As opposed to your boner pictures, if you send me a picture of your boner, it better say my name on it in Sharpie. Anyways, shout out to the peep show. Y'all have been popping off and, uh, and welcome to a lot of the new members in there. I hope you're enjoying what you're seeing. If you've joined recently, it's been a couple of pretty horny weekends in the peep show. Very proud of the crew. Of course, you can gain access to the peep show as well as over 300 bonus episodes by supporting the man whore podcast on Patreon. I'm about to play a teaser of my bonus episode with fancy so if you haven't ended, if you haven't skipped forward just yet, stay tuned. Hold on just a few more seconds before you get some more content. But I do have to remind everyone that you can become a member today. Support the pod you love at patreon.com slash Podcast. Another great way to support the pod is to buy your books through my bookshop.org link. Also in the notes, I get a cut for every book sold through that link. And a great book to get right now is Naked on Sex, Work, and Other Burlesques by Fancy Feast. Okay, everybody, I got to put this thing down and, and edit everything uh, in time to go to a comedian's birthday party tonight because Billy is out of a depressive hole and trying to be social again. Hey, I'm going to stay for at least one hour and five minutes. And if I want to go after that, I am allowed to, so long as I've shaken at least three to five hands. Some people have fitness goals when they go to a gym. I have social goals when I go to a party. And with that, enjoy the teaser. Enjoy some titties somewhere in your life. Even if you're a gay man and, and those titties are really just pecs or your friend's non-sexual titties. However, just like, you know, I just think titties are great for everybody. So enjoy them wherever you can get them. Stay slutty. <laughs> So I, I had this, this guy like tied to my bed and, um, blindfolded and he had headphones on and I was playing, um, that's the way it is by Celine Dion on repeat for a couple of hours while I edged him and, um, with the, with the hopes that it would like, you know, get ingrained in his, in his sexual response. And I wouldn't let him come unless he was singing it. And this is when I was living with like four <laughs> other people. So I'm sorry to my roommates. Um, and then, and, but after, after it, we were doing our little postmortem and he's like, I don't, I don't think it worked. Like I just kind of tuned out the song after a while and I was so disappointed. Um, I was like trying to be a good, you know, a cool, a hardcore top or whatever. And then he, he sent me a text like a week later saying that he had downloaded it off of iTunes and was jerking off to it. 